Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to MuncieFirstChurch.com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, MuncieFirstChurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. We'll talk to you this morning a little bit about doing life together. You know, it's, it's one thing to do life. It's another thing to do life right. And I think that doing life well means doing life together. I really do. Last week, we introduced this whole new series that we're doing called Culture Wins. And we're talking about our church culture. Every organization, every church, every home, really, every home has a culture, a culture in. It, it's, it's what it is. It's, it's who it is. Uh, it describes and tells you what they value and what matters. And, and we as a church have a culture. But unfortunately, a lot of our cultures are come about, have come about unintentionally. And we want to talk about setting our culture intentionally. What really matters? What really, what really matters in our church? I, I think this is an important and exciting group of sermons. I really am excited about it because... As your culture goes, so goes your organization. And having good intentional culture is vital to our success as a church, to reaching people. In fact, I think culture supersedes the strategy. In fact, I think culture will set the strategy of our, of our church. I really do. So last week I likened the culture of Muncie First Church to a wheel. And I said that wheel is the church out here. And then there's spokes, things that we value that will go out to that. And in the very center of it's a hub, a place where it connects to the car, the wagon, whatever it is that rolls on that wheel. It's what we revolve around. And I said at the very hub of that wheel is Jesus. He is the center of everything that we do. There is nothing else but Him. I, I, I mean that when I said it last week. We revolve around Jesus. The whole thing, everything we do is for Jesus, through Jesus, because of Jesus. And, and I want us to just remember that. If you don't get anything else, then just remember that because that's what matters most. The rest of them are important, but, but if we don't get that part, if we don't get Jesus at the center of it, it none of the rest of it's going to work. It's all about Him. So I want to start off this week by asking a simple question. What do you think life would look like if you had to live it alone without Jesus in your life? What would life look like if you took Jesus out of the equation of your life? If you just simply lived for yourself? If you lived with yourself at the very center of your life? If you lived with uh, maybe your work at the center of your life or something else? What would it look like if you lived life alone without Jesus? And maybe I should ask more specifically, what would your life look like without the influence of the people of Christ that he's placed in your life who have made a difference in your life? You ever thought about that? That, you know, when we say Jesus is at the center, one of the things about that is, is that Jesus is at the center, and a lot of times he's at the center through the people that you live with and work with and go to church with, the, the, the people that he's placed in your life who've made a difference. What would your look, life look like if you had no friends, no other Christ influencers in your life? Well, this week, I, this week I sat and I reflected on my life, and I have to say this about myself, and I, I can't speak for you, but for me, all the significant changes and corrections in my life, all the important things have happened in the fellowship of Christ and in the fellowship of the friends that Christ has put in my life in the church. None of the good things in my life have ever happened when I was by myself. Just hasn't. By myself, I get discouraged. Anybody here 
Testify with me on that. By myself, I get pretty negative. By myself, I start thinking about some of you and I go, they don't like me. I'm just telling you. I'm a weird dude. I sit and I think bad thoughts sometimes. Without the church, without the people that I've done life with, I would be far, far, far from the person I am today. I love the church. More specifically, I love the people who make up the church. I love Jesus Christ with all my heart, and I love His people. I love coming here. It's not a hard thing to do to get up and come to church on Sunday morning for me, or on Wednesday night. And by the way, Wednesday night prayer has been an amazing thing. You need to be here. Don't miss that. That is so important. We had 30 or so here last week. I believe that we should have altars lined with people praying on Wednesday night, and so be here for that. But I love the people who make up the church. It's my family. They laugh at me, and fortunately, sometimes with me. They've disciplined me. Oh, I can tell you about some disciplining I got in church when I was a kid. Not just for my parents either. Back in them days, back in those days, way back there, I remember one time I poked a kid, did something to him, made his mom mad. She followed me in the bathroom. She took care of it. She never told my parents. My parents never said a word to her. They knew I needed it. She knew I needed it. She took care of it. They worked together back then. Nowadays, kids, you got it easy. Your parents are the only ones allowed to touch you. Back then, everybody was after you. It was scary. They cheered for me. I'm telling you something. When I, when I came into a place where I believed in Jesus, when I went to the altars to pray, they prayed with me. They didn't just leave me alone. I was just a dumb kid. They came down there and they said, you got to make it. And when I told them that God had called me into ministry, they cheered for me. And they celebrated for me and with me. The church is less than perfect, but Jesus has used it to point me in the right way. I can tell you all the bad things about the church. If you want to sit down and we can compare notes, I'm sure we can come up with some bad things. But i got to tell you, I believe it's a good place. It's a good thing. And God has pointed me, used the church to point me in the right direction. He's helped, it. He's helped me stay on the, on, on the narrow path through the church. Now, God makes it clear to us that life was never meant to be lived alone. And he does it through the scripture. And this morning, I want to read several scriptures to you. Is that all right? We are in church. Probably a good thing to do. Read some scriptures. So we're going to read some scriptures this morning. And I'm just going to read several of them to you. I think, I think they'll be up on the board. I'm not sure. I think so. And usually Nathan takes good care of that for me. And I appreciate that. And I just want to say also, while I'm talking about the church and the people in the church, it is great to have you all on board. And so many of you do so many things. I love it. You know, the grass had gotten really tall with all the rain. Pete came out here, he mowed all that down. About every week he comes out here and mows down the main part. Some others went out and mowed in the field and took care of all that. But isn't it nice to come here and it looks good? I mean, praise the Lord for that. And I love it that Nathan takes care of the scriptures and leads the worship. And man, that was powerful this morning. Uh, I'm just thankful for what God's doing in our church. But anyway, Genesis chapter 2. Here in verse 18 we're going to start. It says this, The Lord God said it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make him a helper suitable for him and then skip down to verse 20 for adam no suitable helper was found so the lord caused the man to fall into deep sleep and while he was sleeping he took one of the man's ribs he closed up the place with flesh then the lord god made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man God knew that we didn't do very well alone. He knew that we needed help. He knew that we needed people with us. And he provided for intimate relationship between man and a woman there. And it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. 
Secondly, this, God knew that life was better when it was lived together. In fact, we know that God is one God. We declare that. That's the scripture. The scripture teaches our God is one God. But we also know that he is three separate beings who are in such intimate fellowship with each other that you can't see where one stops and the other starts. It is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they fellowship together. They knew that life together is better. Intimacy together. They understood that. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Verses 7 through 12, we read this. I turned my head and saw yet another wisp of smoke on its way to nothingness. This is on the message. A solitary person, completely alone, no children, no family, no friends, yet working obsessively late into the night, compulsively greedy for more and more, never bothering to ask, why am I working like a dog? Never having any fun, and who cares? More smoke, a bad business. And he goes on in verse 9, it's better to have a partner than go it alone. Share the work, share the wealth. And if one falls down, the other helps. But if there's no one to help, tough. Two in a bed warm each other. Alone you shiver all night. By yourself you're unprotected. With a friend you can face the worst. Can you round up a third friend? A three-strand rope isn't easily snapped. See, the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes saw that doing life alone is meaningless and miserable business. And I think he's on to something really important there. And we'll talk about that. Next scripture is this, Jesus didn't believe that doing ministry alone was the way to go. So in Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, we read these verses. It says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. And he chose, he appointed 12. He designated them his apostles, and that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Jesus didn't say, I'll do this ministry myself and get all the credit, and everybody will say, look at me, isn't he great? He chose 12 to help him to go alongside him, to work with him. He chose a group. Then in Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 2, we see Jesus sending out his disciples to go in ministry. He sent out 72 of them. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place he was about to go. He doesn't send them out by themselves. You know, if you go out by yourself to do ministry, it can get really discouraging. You know, my first pastorate I was in, I was the only one there. I didn't have any associates. I didn't have anybody really uh, helping me. When we first started, I mean, it was about 25 people, and most of them didn't want to help in any way, shape, or form. It was me. A lot of times it was me by myself. It, that's discouraging. I've got to tell you, working by yourself can be really hard. Paul the Apostle never did ministry alone. He chose Barnabas as his ministry partner. They had a severe dispute. They, they had a falling out, if you will. Anybody here ever had a falling out with somebody you were doing ministry with? I mean, it happens. You know, ministers are human, even Paul. They had a dispute, so he chose Silas to go with him. Verse, uh, chapter 15 in Acts, verse 40. But Paul chose Silas and left, commanded, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. I believe our church believes, and Jesus through the Scripture teaches, that life was never meant to be lived alone. And that ministry, especially, was never to be done alone. We've gotten a lot of things wrong about that. Because a, the truth is, is that a lot of people, a lot of pastors, a lot of people in general, a lot of us here are doing exactly what I'm talking about not doing. They're doing life alone. They're going about things doing it alone. The reality is, is that most people in the United States are nightly sitting in their living rooms in the warm glow of their cell phones, their TVs, their iPads, reading about 
envying the fake, and it is fake, life of all those people who have those wonderful lives on Facebook, Snapchat, and other social media. We were reading somebody's post the other day, and I said, wouldn't it be neat if they really were like that? (laughs) I know them in real life. They're better on Snapchat or on Facebook than they are in real life. Anybody know anybody like that? You know, it's, you know, come on, let's be honest here. This is church. Anybody know anybody like that? It's getting better. You're warming up here. Get this crowd warmed up a little bit. Yeah. But the problem is, is when you're on Snapchat, Facebook, and all the social media, it still means you're alone because you're still sitting by yourself, and it's still discouraging. It still can easily get to you. Because most of the time, those relationships you have on social media are not real relationships. I mean, there's some people that you get maybe a, a, a sort of a relationship with, but, but most of them are people I knew in the past or people I've known from somewhere, and I'm not really in real relationship with them anymore. There's somewhere else. I'm here. And if I get in trouble, if something happens to me, they're not there to rescue, to help, to encourage me. So life for many is a miserable business. Even people who are married and have kids oftentimes sit alone in their homes next to a spouse or a child who never really talks to them. Have you been to a restaurant recently? Why do you bother? You know, get some hot dogs, throw them on the floor, sit around and do that and eat your hot dogs. I don't know, you know, it's just crazy the way people live their lives. I think that's why we, when we're really serious about it when we get to talking about things like our high school days or our college years we we look at them and say those were the best years and here's the reason why because when we were there we had friends we got together nightly and we sat in circles and we talked and we laughed and we played together and we encouraged each other and we dreamed together and we did life together we met to eat together all those things so i want to talk for a few moments this morning about why it's so important that we don't do life alone Okay, and I think this is so important, you know, and you go, well, you know, I don't think this is all important, I'll, I'll tune out, you know, and I've given a lot of people good sleep around here, and I, you know, I'm glad I was able to help out, but, but I hope you'll listen to this today, I really do. The number one reason that we should never do life alone is because Jesus believed that life was meant to be lived together and celebrated together. Jesus tells us that, he shows us that, he models that, and if Jesus says this is the way you should live life, guess what, it's not an option. A lot of us have that idea that if, if I don't really want to do it, I know Jesus said it, but I don't really want to do it, it's okay. No, it's not. If Jesus says that you're not to live life alone, that you should do it together, that, you know, that this is important that we gather and important that we do life together, then you should do that. Amen? We agree on that? Jesus lived out his life with others. He always ate with others. Have you ever read where Jesus went off to have lunch by himself, sit in the corner someplace? It doesn't say that. It says he went to the Pharisee's house. It says he went over to the, the house of the tax collectors, and he sat down and he ate with them. And meals weren't just, uh, let's hurry up and get this chicken down so we can get on with life. They got together and they reclined and they talked and they shared ideas and they, they listened to stories. It was a big event. And he always, it seems like he's always having dinner with someone. In fact, he was called a, a, a glutton because he liked to go to dinner. I think that's why they wore big robes. You couldn't see what was going on underneath there, you know? I don't know. Maybe not. He modeled that. He taught it to us. And if we're going to do life together and to do that well, we have to start being focused on and revolving around Jesus, doing what he asked us to do. He's our center, so we need to start doing life together. We're attempting to be a Jesus-focused church, and Jesus is calling us to do life together. So our 
core value that I want to talk about today, it's the second one here, is we intentionally choose to live like Jesus and never do life or ministry alone. He's at the center, and one of, this is the first spoke. We don't do life alone. We don't do ministry alone. We do them together. It's important that we do them in community and together. The second reason we choose to do life together is because doing life together has incredible uh, benefits. And go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and I know I preached from this not too long ago, but these are, I'll give you a little bit more. Benefit number one that you get is you share the work and you share the wealth. Let me, let me tell you a little bit about that. Last year, I cut down 11 big ash trees. These are a couple hundred year old ash trees that the Asher boar had killed that were in my yard. Eleven of them. I cut them all down in one Saturday. And by cutting them down, I mean that my son John came over to my house and he brought a bucket lift with him and we hooked it up to his truck and we got it in position and I would get in the bucket and I would go up into the top of the trees and I cut all the brush and all the limbs down and we tied a rope on it and he'd pull them down and get them down and get them out of the way and then when we get the top all out of it then we would cut it off so far and pull that down because they were all real close to my house and so we cut and cut and cut and we did that all day long until we had 11 trees down on the ground and all the brush that went with it as you can imagine that was a huge mess well john ran out of time he hooked a lift onto his truck grabbed his kid i gave him a little gas money we fed him and he disappears down the road and that that he had to go home and i'm looking around going oh my goodness i'm never going to see the yard again all I've got is piles of brush everywhere. And I was like, wow, this is, this is discouraging. I was overwhelmed. Well, I said something about it and showed some pictures on Facebook. And I'm, Facebook can be good for some things. Showed pictures on Facebook. And Ryan Plummer from our church saw it. And he goes, hey, you need some help. He called me up, said, you need some help? I said, yes. So he came over with his saw. And we cut for like three days. We cut and we cut and we cut and we cut. And we got it all cut up. And then he brought over a skid steer, if you know what that is, and he, and he lifted that up. It's like a bobcat, if some of you would probably call it that. It's a skid steer. And he picked up all the stumps, and he got them all stacked up, and he took some of them in his trailer and hauled them off to someone else. And then he was done. And then Darcy came out, and she and I cut brush, and we burned brush for like three days and cleaned up the rest of it. And then Todd Stone came over and brought me a, 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 a log splitter. And Darcy and I split logs for like four days until we got it all done and stacked it up. It's still a lot of it stacked up in my driveway. I was overwhelmed by that. But here's the deal. When we got everybody together, we shared the work. And it was much easier. And it was encouraging. And then we shared the wealth because Ryan took some of the wood that he needed and gave it away to some friends and whatever. And, and Todd and Tisha, who brought me that over, Tisha burned that wood in her fireplace all winter. And John, he got, got some money for doing it. We shared the work and we shared the wealth. The only one that didn't get shared with is Darcy. She just got privilege of working with me for all those days. But doing a job alone can be discouraging and we're easily defeated. Together we stick to it. Together we can accomplish so much more than when we work alone. And when discouragement comes, and it will when you're doing work of any kind. And don't kid yourself, church work is some of the most discouraging work you'll ever do. You know, there are days when you just want to go, what in the world was I thinking, you know? Maybe it'd be less painful if I'd stick a needle in my eye or something, you know, get rid of the pain that I'm feeling. 
that when you can talk and encourage each other, you can overcome the discouragement. So it's so important to have people around you. Secondly, if one falls down, the other helps. If there's no one to help, it's tough. When I was doing the trees, there were oftentimes things that were too big to do alone. Some of those logs were so heavy and so big, I couldn't do it by myself. I couldn't go up in the, chair, at the tree and cut down and, and tie it off and then drop down and pull it. I, John had to help me. We had to have help. Things sometimes can't be done alone. When there are two or more of us, there's not much we can't accomplish. That's true in the church as well as in life. Third one is this. Two in a bed warm each other. Alone you shiver all night. When you combine your resources, it allows us to do much more than when we're going it alone. I look around here right now at this church and I think of all the people who have joined together to build the things that we enjoy. I wasn't here when this was built, but there was a group of beautiful people who worked together to make it happen. Some of them are still here, not very many. Most of them have gone to heaven, but they sacrificed and they made a way for us to build this and to buy this property. Beautiful, isn't it? And then, and then we built the gym later on and added that to it, and we've done all that. And, and it's, it's a resource that we have now because we, we went together and did it. I, I love all church work days. Some of you are going, what's, what's wrong with you? I'm going to tell you why. Because we do it together, because we're laughing and we're talking and we're enjoying it. And when we get done, we go, wow, look what we accomplished. Anybody here know what I'm talking about? You've been to those? You know? I mean, if you've missed the all church work days because you're just like, I don't want to work, you just missed out on all the fun. Because it's a blast. It really is. Best, best days of our lives. Fourth benefit is this by yourself, you're unprotected. With a friend, you can face the worst. You know, we face trials and struggles in life when we're in trouble, when we're alone. I remember one time I was out trying to call on folks, my first church. I'm a young guy. I'm trying to figure this out. I knock on a door, and a lady just slams the door in my face. It was just brutal. And I was just like, oh, man, I'm just going home, you know. But I was with a buddy that day, another pastor from another town who had come over to help me. And Mike said, let's just go. Come on. His name's Mike Stipp. And Mike said, come on, let's go. And he and I went over to the Dairy Queen, and we had ice cream instead of going home. And we got encouragement. Ice cream is encouraging, by the way, you know, sometimes. But we did it together. Jesus told a story in the Sermon on the Mount of two people who decided to build a house I love this, and, and let me apply this in this way to you. They, he was telling his story in the Sermon on the Mount. Two people decided to build their houses. One decided to build it on, a, on the sand. He said, I don't want to have to mess with it, dig down deep. And so he built it on sand. And the sand here really means he built it on things of the world. He built it on, his, on stuff that was easy. He, he, he built it on commercialism or, or, or consumerism and on things and, and just having a good time. He built his house on the sand. And the, the other one dug down deep, and he, he got down to the rock, Jesus Christ himself, and he was building his house on the rock and you know they they both got them built but there's a commonality in these two house buildings that I want you to see here the Bible says that when Jesus said that when they got their houses built the storms begin to blow and rage storms blow against every house don't matter what you've built it on storms blow against every house there's not a house out there that doesn't have storms come against it. There's not a world, a person out there in the world whose storms aren't going to come against. They come to all of us. And if there's only one good reason not to do life alone, it's this right here. In the storm, if we're on the right foundation and walking life with others, you can overcome just about anything. And some of you right now are in some storms that are bigger than Florence ever dreamed of being. Some of you are fighting for your life. 
Some of you are fighting for your loved one's lives. Some of you are, are, are dealing with children who have, who have turned their back and walked away. Some of you are dealing with financial crises that are overwhelming to you. The storms are raging right now, but if you've got your foundation on Jesus Christ, if he's the core and you've dug down deep and you're based on that, and if you've got people around you, there's nothing you can't take. There's nothing that you can't weather in those circumstances. I've been listening and it seems like I hear all the time about people who have been taking their lives recently. Anybody notice that? It's it's epidemic. It's heartbreaking. And I don't want to cause any pain here if you're dealing with that right now. But, but I can't help but wonder sometimes if maybe, if maybe those people who are taking their lives, if they were able to get their foundation and if they had someone around them, if they had people surrounding them, holding on to them, people that they could be honest with, people who would listen to them, people who would say, I'm here for you, if maybe they couldn't have weathered the storms instead. I don't know. Solomon wrote, can you round up a third? I tell you, sometimes, you know, you're, you're with your wife, your husband. You're a strand of two. You're strong. But when things get going, it can get really weak. And oh, man, every woman here needs a girlfriend. Every man here needs a man friend. I'm serious about that. Every woman in this place needs to have a woman that she can call up and say, my husband's an idiot. Because <laughs> they are. Testimony here. She needs to be able to call up and say, I need help here. I need you to help me out here. I'm, I'm struggling. And every man needs to be able to go to his man friends and go, she's out shopping again. And talk to them. And encourage, get that encouragement they need. We just do. We need to be like trees whose roots have gone down deep and they intertwine and they hold each other strong in storms. We refocus each other when the other is overwhelmed. We need to be able to get together with that girlfriend, that guy friend, and pray and say, God, help us. It's not just talking. Sometimes it's praying. It's getting on your knees. It's going to the Lord. You know, sometimes you can't pray alone. Anybody here ever struggle with that sometimes? But man, you get somebody else and they can pray for you and pretty soon you have a breakthrough. We can love and encourage and hold each other steady. We can overcome. Our third reason to do life together is because others recognize our brokenness and our weaknesses. I have this idea, sometimes I I sit around and I come up with ideas and I go, man, that is awesome. I'm all ready to go on it. And I go to Darcy, I say, hey Darcy, listen, this is a great idea. And I tell her and she goes, you know. You're, you're dumb, aren't you? You know, you just lost your, you know, what's wrong with you? You know, or I come into the staff meeting and I sit down, guys, I got to tell you, this is great. And they go, no, it's not. It's not. No, it's not. See, I, I, I've run issues by the board and sometimes they've said, no, I've been saved so much grief and kept on the right path because I have people to do life and ministry with. I'm not out here by myself Doing things and then going, well, I don't understand why it fell apart. The fourth reason to do life together is because life has a lot of twists and turns. Truth. Even this week, I've been at the hospital. I've been at the courts. I've been in your homes. We have celebrated births. We have celebrated deaths. And we have wept over tragedies. We have laughed together with joy. 
We have played games, we've ate meals, and we've dreamed dreams together. I got to tell you the truth. Most of life would be horrible if you didn't have anyone to share those with. Because life takes turns, and sometimes they're sudden. You get them out of the clear blue. Everything's going well. It's like 9-11. It's a beautiful, clear September morning, and you wake up, and the world isn't the same anymore. And some of you know what I'm talking about today. But life works as we do it together. We encourage each other. We link arms, and we make it. The church is not what it is today because of one person. It is what it is because of all those whom we did life with in the past, all those who've gone before us. I think of the great cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on. Our church is in that great cloud. But I think specifically of all those who were here before us, first churchers who have said, you can do this because we did it together. It's because of all the dreams God gave us to dream then and them back then. It's because of all of us doing our part to make something bigger and better. It's because all of us have held each other accountable, prayed together, fought with each other, apologized to each other. And by the way, that's a big part of being together and doing life together is fighting with each other at times and apologizing to each other. There's nothing wrong with either one of them. Okay? Sometimes we aren't going to agree. And sometimes when we disagree, we're wrong. Sometimes when we disagree, we're right. But always, always, always finding that person, loving them and apologizing and making sure everything's right. We've confessed to one another. We've shared the deep moments of our life with each other. We've moved on towards the high calling God has for us together. Here's the deal. Life is screaming by, isn't it? Can't believe it. How old I am already. It's amazing. How did that happen? I was 20 yesterday. By the way, Ian's only 32, Richard, not 43. Just want to point that out to you. Trying to help you out there, Ian. But life is screaming by for us. And time is of the essence. We can't keep wasting time and saying, someday. I know people all the time, someday I'm going to come and be a part of the church. Someday I'm going to let you, I'm going to let people in on my life. Someday. Guys, we got to quit doing that. Can't wait for someday. I know that you want to do life and ministry together, and it's today. Maybe the question is where or how do you build relationships and friendships that have a meaningful purpose in existence? Let me give you some thoughts I have. I think some of the answers to that question are these. One, I need to tell you there are no shortcuts. Life together means taking time and risk and putting forth the effort to be together. You've got to choose to do this. Okay? You've got to choose. It's not going to happen accidentally. Oh, I just accidentally did life with someone. I had to decide I'm going to ask Darcy to marry me. I had to be specific about it. I had to spend some money, buy a ring. I had to find a place. I had to ask the question. Secondly, it's hard to connect with others, but I want to suggest that the church is the perfect place to make, listen to me carefully here, to make some of your meaningful friends, to meet some of your meaningful friends and to make friends with some of the people that you need to do life with. I believe God wants us, desires for us to find friends in the church and to live out our lives together. He does not want us to come here and hear a sermon and go home and say, well, that was nice. My biggest struggle with large, large churches is simply that oftentimes we go there to hide. God doesn't want people who hide. He wants people who gather and commune together and work together to build the kingdom. Not against big churches, by the way. I have any problem with it all because they have small groups in them. That can happen. I believe God wants us, desires that for us. I need people in my life who are believers, who are disciples, who will pray for me and help disciple me. 
Yeah, I need disciple too, who disciple me and who encourage me and who tell me no. I think we all want to build a group of friends to do life with. I don't think there's anybody here right now that's saying, nah, I don't want that. I think that we know that that's important. I think that it's when we're with a group of people that we do what Jesus has called us to do best. I think life works best when we live in a right relationship with God and others, and the church is a great place to do this. So I think some of our friends need to be a part of the church, but I want to go on with that and say we also need to build relationships outside the church. You know, a lot of us are saying, well, I'm in the church, you know, I'll come out and be separate and all that sort of stuff. No, 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 you missed the point. Oh, we're different than the world. Yeah, we are different. I mean, I don't think we're all the same. I was at a motorcycle rally yesterday. I definitely realized that the church and that place weren't the same. A guy sitting there with a shirt on it said Lucifer. And, you know, on the back said Lucifer's garage. So I finally worked up the courage to go ask him, what's the shirt all about, you know? And he told me, he said, well, my ex-wife told me I was like the devil, so I decided to agree with her. <laughs> there you go. All right. You know, it's a little different. I'm not sure I'd wear that shirt, especially riding a motorcycle, but hey, you know, it's, it's what he wanted to do, so... But, but we need relationships outside the church, at work. We work, we interact with people all day, and I don't believe you're there by accident or just to make money. You know? Your job's not just to make money, it's to make friends. It's, he's put you to a place to be a minister of grace to people. He's called you to be Jesus in the place where you work. I believe that's your place of ministry. So you should be connecting and building relationships so that you can lead people to Jesus. And, and he's done the same where you play. You know, we all have places we play. Maybe it's at the gym or on a softball team or playing golf or riding motorcycles or painting pictures or throwing pottery or whatever it is that you do. All places we go outside the church, we're not there by accident. We're there to connect to people so that we can connect people to Jesus. We do it together. We need to begin to intentionally build relationships so we can lead others to Jesus. Finally, I want to say this. We just kicked off our small groups for this fall. we got great groups planned, and some of them are functioning really well. And I'm excited. Some of you have been reporting some really good things. And, and I love it. And I can tell you, these groups, they're the best way to create friendships in the church. Because, see, the problem is you're sitting here with your backs to everybody right now. I'm the only one who can see you. Isn't that weird? It is weird. That's not the way it's supposed to be necessarily. It's okay in a certain circumstance. But we need to be in a circle where we can look at each other and talk and get to know each other. And many of you are going to church, but you're not connected. You're not sharing life with others. You come and hear a sermon, you go home, and that's it. You need to get a group to do life with. These connection groups are the ticket for that. And I also think that the connection groups are ideal for you pulling others that you've made relationships and connections with into, not necessarily this part of the church, but into those small groups so that they meet Jesus, so they get their heart begins to be discipled, and then they want to come and they worship with us. But, but when you bring them here first, it's a little overwhelming because people aren't used to sitting in rows and singing songs and hearing someone lecture them. We have awesome groups available, but here's the deal. They're not going to be very effective unless you're in them. See, they're not just so that we can say on a piece of paper, small groups, check. They're here for you. 
Because you were not meant to do life alone. Because life is hard. And because we know it's hard to connect and we're trying to make places that work for you naturally. So these groups are here to help guide you on your journey to live in the kingdom. But they will not, cannot help you if you choose not to participate. You know, my dad is a great example of something like that. My dad always liked his pickup truck. When he retired, he bought himself a new truck. And for several years, he would buy a new truck about every year. Go out and buy himself a new pickup, new Chevrolet pickup. And he always bought them loaded. And I remember the one truck he had when he finally got it. It, it, it was leather, had the gray leather seats. It was bright red. It had every bell and whistle on it that you could want, including heated seats. Great, man. So my dad's complaining all the time about how he hates getting in the truck because it's always cold seats. And I said, well, you got heated seats. He goes, what are you talking about? <laughs> he had no idea he had heated seats. I mean, when I drove it, I'm driving around going, whoa, it's kind of like wet in your pants, only it never goes away, you know? You're just driving around warm all the time, you know? It's great. <laughs> he had no idea. I showed him one day. I said, look here, you push this button, your butt gets warm. And he was like, oh, he's so excited. He finally was participating. See, that's the way a lot of you are right now. You're going, well, church is kind of boring and nothing ever really happens there. It's because you're not in a small group. You're not participating. You're not getting involved. See, I know it's much easier to sit at home tonight in your PJs or any night and look at Facebook. And some of you are saying, well, I'm just not a social person, but that is a meaningless, did I say truly meaningless existence? Our small groups are designed to help you grow into the likeness of Christ, to focus on Jesus, to be the hedge around you that protects you in times of storms, to care for you when life is just too hard to do it all by yourself. These groups are designed to help you reach out and include and connect others to Jesus. And guys, I got to tell you, I think this is the very best way. Because life was not meant to be lived alone and in seclusion. Everyone I've ever met who's trying to do life alone has become weird and twisted. I'm serious about that. I'm not talking, you know, people who aren't married because that happens and they're fine. But people, even married people who try to do life alone get really, really, really strange. And let me tell you why. Because they have no one to tell them no and no one to tell them they just got off the rails. And they need somebody. You know, they really do. The problem is they only have one opinion and it's theirs. And I know when my opinion is the only one I listen to, I get in trouble. They've lost track of reality. They do not grow because they, haven't, they think they've arrived. And when the storms come, and they will, they're devastated and they're overwhelmed because we really do need each other. Even when we're a mess with all of our warts, hurts, and hang-ups, even if everybody I'm in group with is a mess, I'd rather be in a group with a messed up group of people than to be alone because they can at least point out to me my faults. We need to be honest. And we need to be honest in our love, compassionate in our correction, generous in our love, and care for each other. I need you. I really do. I need you. Love you, and I need you. And you at least need me, whether you love me or not. And that's the truth. Nathan's going to come. We're going to sing and celebrate a little bit together. If anybody wants to pray, the altars are always open. That's not necessarily what we're here for today. 
It'd be great if anybody has things going on in your life. You go, man, I just need to deal with it. You're welcome to come up and do that. But we're going to sing together, worship the Lord together one more time in this way, and, and we'll be closing up this part of the service. But I pray that you will consider getting involved in one of the groups. Back on the board, it still tells you. You can't sign up there, but it'll tell you what's going on. And when they meet, where they meet, contact Ian, contact me, contact one of the leaders of those groups, say, hey, I'm interested. Let's be a part. And if, they, if that doesn't work for you, you know, let me know. Maybe there's other things, other places we can connect you. But you need to be connected. You can't just keep doing life alone. It won't work. It really won't. Father, right now, I just praise you. Thank you. Worship you. Love your church. Love your people. Love you, Lord. Look forward to doing life the rest of the way through together. Don't know what I'd do if I didn't have your people with me. This is so special right here. I don't think we understand how much this really, how special this really is, gathering here like this. Don't let us take it for granted, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for being here with us. Thank you for bringing old friends here with us today, Cam and Lindsay. It's great to see them today. Thank you, Lord, for them. I pray your blessings upon them. I pray that you will use them in the days ahead. Continue to bless and use them, Lord, in their ministry and in their time, wherever they are. Thank you, Jesus, for them. Thank you that you raised them up in this church, that godly people surrounded them and loved them and lifted them up, and, Lord, that they now lift up others. Our ministry moves on. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We praise you. We ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen.